Yes! Gary Clark Jr., welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you? I'm great, man. I'm great. I owe uh, Ari Shafir to connect me to you. He's the one who connected me. Yeah. He, he, uh, he goes, check this out. He played uh, Numb for me. I go, who is this motherfucker? Uh, yeah. And then from there on, I've been a Gary Clark Jr. Awesome. fan. Respect to Ari. Appreciate it. Here we are. <laughs> yeah, man. What's going on, man? Oh, man. Just trying to figure out L.A. I came out here in July and just kind of figuring it out, man. Is not Austin. Not at all. No. Not at all. But I'm starting to get a little bit, you know, familiar in Austin's a couple hours away on an airplane, so I can figure it out. Um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm glad you, you hit me up. Uh, the um, Honey Honey crew. Yeah. That's the one who like, popped that off. So. Yeah, yeah. Suzanne connected us. Awesome. Yeah, they're great. They're yeah, good people, them. man. I mm -hmm. love those guys. Yeah, I ran into them at um, Bridge School Benefit, uh, Neil Young thing, so... It's good to reconnect. First time I came out here, we did a gig with them. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what made you move from Austin, which is like one of the best spots in the world, if you could pull it off, to California, which is still one of the best spots in the world, if you can pull it off, but so much more complex, so much more bullshit, so much more ego, so much more traffic, so much more actors. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> that's true man that's very true but um i spent some time in new york city i spent my whole life in austin always wanted to come out west and figure out what it's like you know and um so i got the opportunity to do it so i'm just out here checking it out being here a few months oh so there was no like specific like pulling reason you said let me just try la no nah, me and my girl just decided we would spend some time out here i like it yeah. I like moves like that, man. I think about doing those all the time. But my wife is so not into that because I moved that bitch to the top of a mountain at one time. <laughs> and she almost fell off the cliff. Oh, for real? <laughs> she can't drive in the snow. Oh. My dog got killed by a mountain lion. It was a, a bunch of shit happened. Yeah. Meanwhile, I was in heaven. Loved it. Damn. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of mountain lions, I heard they're like creeping around over here. There's quite a few of them. Yeah. You can't hunt them in California, so yeah. they have no natural predators other than cars. Right. And um, there's people that think that's a good idea because they keep the deer population in check. There's a good argument for that because we don't have Lyme disease. It's very little Lyme disease in California. And one of the reasons for that is, is that not that many deer, especially around here. Mm. Whereas if you're on the East Coast, the East Coast right now has a real Lyme disease epidemic because these deer are overpopulated, and overpopulated deer means they don't get enough food, and they're more susceptible to disease, and fucking Lyme disease is the big one. Ticks. These ticks with Lyme disease. I know a bunch of people from the East Coast that have got Lyme disease. It's fucking bad. Yeah, it's big down in Texas, too. There's deer everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess that's a good thing, but I'd be yeah. freaked out if I walked out, you know. Most of the time, you don't have to worry. Most of the time, they're going after cats and dogs and shit like that. They kill a lot of rabbits and small animals and deer. They decimate the deer population. They kill most of the deer. Either coyotes get them or mountain lions get them. Like, when I see deer in my neighborhood, it's pretty unusual. Whereas if I go back east, like, uh, you know, like I have a buddy who lives on a farm in, um, well, he owns a farm in Wisconsin. There's fucking deer everywhere there. So that's the type of place where you got to worry about ticks. Fuck that. You worried about mountain lions? I mean, I, anything that could, like, take a chunk out of me, I'm a little <laughs> bit worried about. Where do you live? 
Uh, well, you don't say specific, specifically. Yeah. yeah. But no, do you no, live no. somewhere hilly? No, no. Okay, no, you're all right. You've been in the flatlands where the people are? Yeah. Although well, they did kill one in someone's backyard in Santa Monica two years ago. Yeah. Fucking Santa Monica. Do you remember that? It was a big one, too. It was like a 150-pound cat in some dude's yard just chilling, sleeping in his yard. I can't do that. I can't do that. <laughs> Talk about something else. I'm gonna freak out. Do you really? <laughs> I just don't. I just don't fuck with nature. Like. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not. Uh, you know. I love that. I that should be a like meme. You, you know. I, I don't. It's. I respect it. You know. What yeah. I mean? Me too. So, um, and you know, I'm not really into getting eaten by some shit. <laughs> But just that phrase, I don't fuck with nature. <laughs> that should be, should be a picture of you with a guitar pointing at the camera that just says, I don't fuck with nature. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, man. I didn't, you know what I mean. You I know, know exactly what you mean. Yeah, it's dangerous, man. Yeah. You go out there in the, the wilderness and, you know, there's a cities are great. Uh, you know, people think that somehow or another, if you love nature, that you don't love cities. I love everything. Cities, there's beauty in everything. Can't, yeah. can't be closed-minded. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, coming from where I'm from, Austin, there's you know, city and then there's nice land around it, so I like to jump back and, and forth and, and be involved in both, but I will not fuck with mountain lions. <laughs> I don't mess with sharks. <laughs> no, me neither, man. Stuff, yeah, man. I'm down with that. My kids are going to start taking surfing lessons. Really? They're little, five and seven. They want to take surfing lessons. I'm like, that's like a bite, like one bite. Like you don't even survive if you get bitten by a shark if you're five. Do you surf? No. Yeah. I don't fuck with sharks either. That's yeah. I would I would surf if they would figure out some sort of bite-proof suit for sure. You that's, know, that's what's holding me back. Yeah. That's definitely what's holding me back. I would have a bite-proof suit, and then I would want a big-ass knife strapped to my thigh. <laughs> so if a shark did bite me and it didn't get through, I'd just fucking fight in his head. <laughs> Boom! Motherfucker. Take that. Take it, bitch. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Well, there's a lot of them over here, too. There's more sharks for sure than there are mountain lions, I think. What did I say for sure, if I think. But when you uh, fly over California, like there's a lot of like helicopters that fly over like the Malibu coast. They, they take video footage of big-ass great white sharks all the time that are just a couple hundred yards away from people surfing. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> no thanks. That's a lot of helicopters out here in L.A. in general. Yeah. Wow. Well, because it's a big flat area and there's a lot of criminals, it's a good way to catch people. But it's, spot, it's weird when you watch it. You know, they call them ghetto birds. It's weird when you watch them when the helicopters are flying over and they have a spotlight on somebody. You start feeling guilty. You haven't even done shit. Yeah, I know. You know? I know. I know. I'm particularly sensitive that all day. I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. Especially it wasn't, being from out of town. It wasn't me today, damn it. <laughs> How long have you been doing music, man? Man, um, <clears throat> I've been playing guitar since 96. Uh I always kind of wanted one, and my folks were, I had a habit of, of quitting what I started, you know, like I played baseball for a little bit, I tried to do martial arts for a little bit, I tried to do um, basketball, football, and none of it kind of stuck, I would always kind of go back to music, so finally in 96, I just, I got in it and quit caring about anything, you know, I got a guitar, discovered herb and i was like <laughs> <laughs> and that was about it 
Did you take lessons or did you self-taught? Um, I didn't take lessons formally. Like, I didn't pay anybody for lessons. I probably should at this point. But my friend of mine, Eve Monse, she had a guitar. And she had a band, and she, uh, her and her band would practice all the time. So I would hear them. So I would go over there and, and check it out. And I would take my guitar, and she would show me, you know, like a 12-bar blues, kind of like a Jimmy Reed shuffle type thing or like a, you know, power chord rock and roll thing or whatever. And um, so that was kind of how I first started. And I rented books. I went to the school library, my middle school library, and just rented, like, how to play guitar. And wow. Watched this TV show, Austin City Limits. It came on I know every that show. Saturday. So I used to just sit there and figure it out, you know. Wow. Record the tapes and go back and figure it out. So it was essentially like the first thing that you really connected to that you stuck with. Yeah. yeah. What was it about playing guitar? <clears throat> uh, I think the thing for me was um I mean I love music and I mean the guitar for me was the instrument that could it could paint so many different colors it was very versatile you know it could be loud aggressive or it could be sweet beautiful um and uh i just thought if i could get my hands on one of those i would you know try and push it to the limit and you know and really figure out um you just play with like the full spectrum. It's different than you know playing an electric guitar. For me, it seemed more uh, like there were more options than like uh, playing drums or playing trumpet or something. Yeah, you know what I mean, with toys and you know, yeah, things like that. So that was it. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm as interested in it, you know, 20 years later as I was, you know, then. That means you got the right thing. Yeah, I definitely found it. So fortunate that way that's one of the harder things for kids right <clears throat> when you're a young kid and you don't really know what you want to do with your life and you, your your whole future just looks like just confusing sometimes the hardest thing is finding something that really rings your bell like mm. finding something so for you it seems like there was a bunch of different other options that didn't just didn't really click and then the guitar just that was it yeah well i mean Baseball, I was a terrible hitter. I was pretty fast. You know? <laughs> Basketball, I was tall, but I was thin. So, you know, it put me in the post, and I'd get pushed out by these huge guys. And I got tired of my coach going, God damn it, Junior, when are you going to quit being a bitch? You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, so, um, you know, it was just, just with music, it was just it just kind of clicked. It was something for me. What martial arts did you do? Uh, I tried taekwondo. Um yeah, perfect build for that. Yeah, I just didn't have the patience at the time. I really didn't. I wish I stuck with it, you know. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I didn't have the patience or the discipline. I didn't want to, you know, be focused. and Right. For a, I wanted to, you know, if there's something out the window, I wanted to go run and yeah. you know, jump out the window, go ride bikes or whatever it was. So. You know, they call that ADD, <laughs> but I call that just being a fucking person. Yeah. Being curious. Like, there's a lot of shit that doesn't occupy your attention, and you're supposed to make it occupy your attention. Right. You know? Well, you keep yourself pretty busy. Yeah, but, like, but look at, like, guitar obviously occupied your attention. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like I don't believe in ADD for, in a lot of senses, in a lot of ways. I think there's obviously some people that have like a mental issue. But I think for most people, what they're calling ADD is being bored. Mm-hmm. You're just bored. Yeah. Like school? <clears throat> How fucking boring is school? School's terribly boring. Yeah. I, I was terrible in it. I was terrible too. I spent a lot of my time. Yeah. You should stay in school, <laughs> kids. But I yes. spent a lot of time showing up to that building and then immediately turning back around and going and doing what interested me. Yeah. And look at you now, motherfucker. <laughs> so I'm doing all right, but I'm doing all right. It's, it's finding the thing and then going after it. That's what it is. And what school does is teaches you that the future is bleak it, in a lot of ways. Obviously, it educates you. And obviously, for people that, that go on to choose some sort of an academic career, it's imperative, right? Mm-hmm. But for a lot of people, that pushing you to pay attention to shit you don't want to pay attention to it stifles creativity. It's just not the best way for people to learn. It gives you like this horrible feeling about the future. Like you feel like an outsider. Yeah, I didn't feel comfortable at all. I mean, I was constantly trying to figure out what, what, why, why am I spending so much time every day doing this? You know, and uh, I just had other interests. I mean, I, I, I believe that it, it does work for some people, and yeah, and, and people need it, but just. For me, the type of person that I that I am, I was just like, I already know what I want to be doing. I wish I could spend my time doing other things. Alternative schooling wasn't really an option for me or anything yeah. at that point. So, um, is this in Austin? You were growing yeah, up? yeah, I grew up in Austin. <clears throat> the school system there is pretty badass. Yeah, it was good, but I felt like I, you know, I would much rather have four hours of music class than right, right, you right. Know, doing something else so I'm, I'm not really knocking the system it was just right. my, my interest you know and uh i think it's almost impossible to find a, a style of teaching or a, a course of study that's going to be really interesting and fascinating to every kid right it's the problem i think is shoving kids in classes and trying to educate them like they're uh, like a product like a factory mm. you know i, I, just, I just don't think I don't think the way we do it is the best way to do it. I don't have a better solution, so I have to shut the fuck up. Yeah, I don't but, either. Yeah. I don't either. Um, yeah, that, we had to read that book, Brave New World. Mm-hmm. It's cool. That one kind of tripped me out. Yeah. Uh, I, don't know if, I don't know if I'm ready for that, but yeah. Dude, there's I don't a, have a solution either. But. There's a Cadillac that you have in one of your videos. Is that your car? <laughs> no. Old, God no, damn. Man. See, I hate when that shit happens. When those stylists, they hook you up with a car that I'm like, damn, Gary Clark Jr. drives a dope-ass old Cadillac. Nah, I drove a, I drove a 94 <laughs> Cadillac that I think is pretty dope, but the director <laughs> of the video was like, nah, it's a piece of shit. <laughs> so, he got this, so he got this girl um, uh, to bring her ride. And um, What year was that one? I think it was like a 66. Oh, it was so slick. I was like, if Gary Clark Jr. really drives that Cadillac, there it is. Look at that motherfucker. Yeah, no, man. Dude, you look like you just stepped off the set of Superfly. I know. <laughs> I know. And you know what? And then, <laughs> and then I got back to my house and then I like, got in my car to go to do whatever I had to do. And I was like, man, this is not the same shit. But That fucking car is sick. Yeah. It was amazing. It was Did you get day. to drive it? Um, 
not even not like hung next to it. it. No, no, no. I drove it up and down that <laughs> that street like <laughs> like seven times. <laughs> it's so depressing what they do, man. They but they nailed it. They found the perfect car for your music. Yeah, I know. Like that's a soulful car. Right. Like that car has a soul to it. It's got like a, it's a piece of history. It's a it's a piece of art. You know. Yeah, I know. You're making me feel really terrible about my situation. <laughs> <laughs> but you're a successful musician, man. Everybody knows who you are. Uh, Shit, you could go out and get a sweet 66. Not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, could. I, I don't drive that much anymore. I spend so much time on the road, man. Right. So, yeah, I, someday. I have a nice little collection. Yeah, someday. Someday. That's in the in the mind. You have, So you, drive, you do drive a Cadillac, though? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Like an Escalade or something? No, no, no. No, uh, a regular I got, one? Yeah, I got this this '94 Cadillac DeVille. When I was 19, I still got it. Really? Yeah, man. Wow, that's actually even cooler because yeah. that one's kind of a poser car in a lot of ways. Like this car in the photo, like you know, the beautiful '66. You can't really take that thing anywhere. Look at that. Where are you gonna take it? You gonna park it there? Some asshole with Volvo is gonna open up his car door <laughs> on you? You know? <clears throat> yeah, I would struggle to parallel park that thing. You gonna get looks from those shitheads and Priuses, the self righteous moral high ground people they're gonna look at you do you have any idea is it worth it is yes. it really worth it you're killing seals <laughs> they're just gonna look at you shitty ah uh, yeah so look yeah. at the fucking hubcaps or the rims on that it must be rims those aren't hubcaps that's some aftermarket shit yeah, those beautiful yeah. white wall tires i know but in a lot of ways like your car is actually cooler because your car is like a car that no one no one gets. <laughs> no one wants to try. No, they don't get it to try to like look cool. Like that car is such a I'm getting it to look cool car that it's not even yours, and they used it for you in a, in a music video to make you look badass, right? Right. But your car is actually more badass because it's your first car from the time when you're 19. You still have it, right? But and you drive it. But that's pretty cool, though. Fuck yeah, it's cool. One day. Thanks for making me feel better, though. <laughs> well, you're more. You're more authentic, see? Like, if you were, like, going way out of your way to own that car, but it was breaking down all the time and it was fucking up, and that would be kind of silly. That was your only car. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm thinking about my car breaking down all the time. <laughs> does, it it? does Yeah, it, yeah, it did. Well, you got to get one of them new ones. Those new Cadillacs are fucking spaceships. I saw some new thing they were working on, yeah. They have a bunch of new ones now. Cadillac's got some incredible cars now. They're finally, they like something happened in like uh, the late '90s, early 2000s. They started turning it around, and now they have pretty amazing cars. Wow, we'll get into that. I know. You need like a CTSV. See one of those? Nah. I've been in a, I've been in a bubble, a musical bubble, in a musical bubble, (laughs) and then a a baby bubble. Ah. Double so, bubble. Yeah, so I'm, I'm <laughs> two babies. Getting, like being, I'm getting out of. I'm here. I am. So yeah, that's like a two baby bubble, right? Because music is kind of like you're giving birth to an album. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. That's how I feel about it. Uh, you know, your new one that you came out with in September. It sounds different than the other ones, but cool. But in like, it's almost like you're, you know, um, like you're taking different chances or you're. You're experimenting with like different sounds. Mm. Well, yeah, I was telling Jamie when I came in here, I was like, uh, before I 
you know, recorded uh, my first album on a major black and blue. <clears throat> I was living in Texas and I had a, a live room where I had drums, keys, bass rig, guitar, all set up. And then another room I had my turntables, drum machines, uh, keyboards, all like put it, like um, going to this Pro Tools session. So I was just making demos and sampling records and just kind of doing whatever I, I wanted to wanted to do and um so for this yeah for this latest record i just kind of wanted to get back into that space and and experiment and vibe and challenge myself musically you know it's like just playing out on the road every every night or whatever for a few years kind of playing the same songs and you know trying to uh bring new life for those in, in a certain way it was different than um I felt like I was kind of stagnant, like I wasn't playing drums like I was every day. I wasn't playing bass like I was. And, I, you know, I, I want to be a musician. I want to be an all-around musician and, and push it to the limit. So for this latest record, I just was able to do that and spend a lot of time. And uh, so, yeah, it does sound different. It's all me playing, you know, most of the instruments as opposed to the last one was a band. So. Oh, wow. How many how many different instruments do you play? Um, I guess I wouldn't say I play them you know what i'm saying like i mess around and some of it works but i played drums i played uh bass keys um harmonica percussion you know just kind of the foundation and did you take lessons for any of these like formal lessons like once you started rolling and you started becoming a musician no 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 i was i was a choir boy in, in middle school were you yeah, I got a hard time for that. The dudes <laughs> on the basketball team just, oh, man, they used to give me a hard time. So that was the form of training that I had. I learned, you know, scales and, you know, notes like that. But So you can read music? Not really. <laughs> not really. You, put, you, can put a, you can put a chart in front of me and I'll, okay, no idea. <laughs> I have no that's, idea. That's so crazy. Yeah, You're well, a musician. Like you're you're a real musician. You have like records. You're with a record label. I see your shit in. I saw your shit at the airport once. A music video that was playing on a television there. Like you're a professional musician. Right, 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 right. right. But I don't read music. <laughs> no, but it's like me being a comedian that doesn't write. No, it's worse. It's like me being an author who doesn't read books. Who can't read books. Does that make sense? No, no. Jamie says no. Uh, oh, this, this guy behind me, he didn't play Hendrix? Read yeah. music. I got to take that picture down and put a real one up. Unfortunately, oh. that's not his real uh, mugshot photo. It's a real photo, obviously, but that's not the actual photo. They fucked me, man. I bought this shit. That's Rosa Parks' real mugshot photo. The, mm -hmm. the, the Elvis one is real, but it's not really a mugshot. It was when he went to visit Nixon in the White House. Oh, they right, took right. a photo of him for a goof. But... That's just a uh, a classic picture of Hendrix, and then they put his actual mugshot photo uh, underneath it. His real photo was him with like shorter hair. It looked more like a, a classic afro. That's like you know Jimi Hendrix experience when they had those white dudes behind him with the big afros as well. Right. Yeah, that's his real photo. Yeah, that's the that. real one. See, so see the um, the image is correct for the uh, mugshot, like for his name, but that's the wrong photo. They fucked me. Somebody had to tell me. Thank you, whoever told me. Some some dude online let me know. Hey, dude, that ain't the real one. Fuck. 
Fuck, right? Assholes. They just got a good one. I mean, that looks like the perfect arrest photo of Jimi Hendrix. And he, and he also has this look on his face like, can't believe these motherfuckers are arresting me. <laughs> Whereas the other one, he, he's got the look like, oh, shit, I just got fucking arrested for heroin. <laughs> <laughs> that's a different look, you know? That's, that's the, ah, uh, fuck, I can't believe God can't damn believe it. Get, it. Yeah, take the picture, man. Shit. <sighs> shit. Mm. I'm a, obviously a huge Hendrix fan. And uh, I can't bring myself to read. He had a former bodyguard that wrote some book that claims that his ex-manager had him killed. That Hendrix's manager not only had him killed, but even had him kidnapped at one point in time, just so he could rescue him, because Hendrix was going to leave his manager. They also, this guy also alleges that Hendrix's manager killed Hendrix's girlfriend, who was with him at the time that he died. Like she jumped off a building in Soho, I believe, um, and they they think that they threw her off that building because she knew that this guy had killed Hendrix. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know either. You, so you did read this? No, you, no, I can't bring myself to yeah, it. Yeah, I can't either. Because I don't want to get down some rabbit hole that I can't prove. But this guy who was a he was a musician himself. He was with the Animals, I believe. You know, um, what was that? The the one hit song they had. Um, I forget the song, but he was a, he was actually a musician himself, and it didn't work out for him, and he started working as a bodyguard for um for Hendrix and working with this manager character who was apparently like universally known as like a really bad guy like real shady like back in the day of music you were dealing with a lot of mob characters right a lot of organized crime characters a lot of creepy like a lot of dangerous people like Phil Spector that crazy fuck yeah yep <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it doesn't get any crazier than that guy. And if you don't know who Phil Spector is, you'll Google him and you'll go, well, how come his hair looks like this in one picture and then his hair like that? He wore a bunch of crazy wigs when he got arrested for shooting a woman in the mouth just a few years ago and uh, killing her. He picked up some woman at a bar on Sunset, took her back to his mansion and shot her in the mouth. Yeah, he was crazy. But that guy was famous for like putting guns in people's mouths. He was famous for pulling guns on people. And apparently it was just... A big part of the music business back then was organized crime and just dangerous people with ties to organized crime. And this guy who managed Hendrix, Hendrix apparently wanted to leave him. And as he was, you know, on his way out, that's when this guy had Hendrix kidnapped. This is what they are alleging in the book. And I believe Hendrix, it's been confirmed that Hendrix was kidnapped and this guy did um, get him rescued. The idea is he had him kidnapped so he could rescue him. So he'd say, look, dude, you need me. I just fucking saved your life. That's crazy fucked up shit. I don't crazy even, fucked I don't, up shit. Yeah, I don't know if I could dig deep and read. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to go down. I, like I, I would like to know the truth, but I don't. I almost don't want to go down the rabbit hole. His name was Mike Jeffrey, and apparently he was also oh, a demolition yeah. expert and assassin for the British MI6 before he was a manager. Whoa. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Whoa. Okay, I got to yeah, read the book now. Yeah, it's, <laughs> sounds fascinating. Now I got some shit to read this weekend. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> I don't know. I haven't come across anything like that in the music business. You get kind of compared to him, though, in a lot of ways. 
Mm-hmm. Why is that? Is it just because you're a handsome young black man who's very good at the guitar? I think it's because I'm handsome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what is it? What? I mean, yeah, I think that's what it is. But you I have. Think that's what it is. But you do have like, um, like in Numb. Numb's a, a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. You have. That's a. That's an unusual sound. You know those guitar riffs that you have in that, mm-hmm. and it's. Uh, I can't like. There's certain sounds you go, ooh, like that's a Gary Clark sound. Like that sounds like like Hendrix. There was a bunch of Hendrix songs where you could hear like Voodoo Child, and you go, okay, well that's fucking Hendrix. You right. know, like people can they can catch that sort of unique sound in a world of people riffing, in a world of people making these amazing sounds with guitars. Occasionally, someone can isolate like particular sounds. Like of course, ACDC, right? Right, right. You know, you listen to ACDC, it's like almost immediately you know it's an ACDC song. But you've got your own thing going on. Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, but I, I can understand the Hendrix comparison. I mean, fuzzy guitars over heavy riffs. Yeah. Black guy doing it, you know. Um, yeah, I get it. It used to bother me, but I'm not mad at it. I mean, it's like, he's great. Yeah. I want to be great. You know, and if people have thrown your name in the same sentence as greats in a positive way, I'll take it and just keep practicing. (laughs) Perfect attitude, man. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. What kind of music are you into? Um, what am I into? Uh, at the moment, I'm into like, um, southern hip hop. Really? Yeah, like uh, speaking of Cadillacs and stuff, I used to, you know, drive around and I don't know if y'all got like the chopped and screwed stuff, but like I used to listen to DJ Screw and. Um, What's the chopped uh, and screwed stuff? Swish your house. It's like, it's like, it's like <clears throat> the music. It's like it's just slowed down and kind of, you know, like they'll take a lyric and like on a turntable and, and chop it up and like repeat something or whatever. And it's, it's really kind of heady, trippy stuff. So I used to, you know, I listen to that all the time. And uh, so I've just recently kind of got back into listening to, um, you know, things like that. Like I got Paul Wall's record, Slim Thug, I've listened to Big Crit. Um, so just like, Texas Southern stuff. I, I don't Paul know if it's Wall's me. The missing. white dude with braces, right? Oh, he's got a grill. Braces. Got a grill. Sorry, I get confused. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> it's a little <clears throat> bit different, but yeah. So I've been, I've been listening. I, I don't know if it's like Texas. Yeah, there he is. His braces. Yeah, some diamond so. braces. So what is? How does he eat corn in the cob? That's my question. I don't know. I think. Do those come out? Is I that like a mouthpiece? I think you take them out. Yeah. Yeah. That's like some shit he wears like a dental dam. Or no, that's when you eat, you eat, <laughs> that's eat some, some dangerous that's pussy. Some <laughs> <laughs> that's what a dental dam's for, right? It's for eating dangerous pussy. That yeah. is it. Which, yeah. by the way, if you use that, kill yourself. If you're even thinking about going down on a girl and you have to throw a fucking tarp over it first, you really, you've made some terrible choices and you're probably never going to recover. <laughs> Just Stop. <laughs> Uh, oh man! Right? I no, mean, come right. on. If that if that's where it's at, well, you'll kiss her, but you won't eat her pussy. Get, stop. 
Yeah. This is chaos. It's gone too far at that point. Yeah, you, you're living your life completely wrong. You need an intervention. You need psychedelics or something. <sighs> there you mm, go. There you psychedelics. Go. There you go. Um, yeah. It's been a long time for me on that. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. We, could, we could help you. Jamie can. He knows people. Right? No. Passing off on him in case the cops are listening. <laughs> I heard <laughs> yeah. they're listening. Yeah, right? Well, it's getting closer and closer to being legal, man. I mean... They just uh, they just released some new uh, new financial stats on the amount of money that they're making off medical marijuana. Once the, if they can if they can really establish that this is like a nationwide way that people can make a ton of money off taxes and turn economies around like they have in Denver. I mean, they turn the economy in Denver around. Do you perform there a lot? Um, I'm not a lot. I'm trying to get there more. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I've done belly up a couple of times and done some. Uh, did Red Rocks out there? Oh man! Yeah, a couple of times. I what love a it. beautiful venue that is, huh? Yeah, it's great. But I mean, the vibe is is killer. It's a great experience as far as every all that. Yeah, kind of, you know. Well, the Denver vibe is like it's like some new American Amsterdam type shit or something. It's crazy. It's this amazing city now. Yeah. I mean, it went from being this cowboy city that was filled with really cool people to somewhere, I think, in the early 2000s, I don't remember what the year it was, they decriminalized marijuana in the city of Denver. They just went fucking. We're just not arresting anybody for it. It's just stupid. Like, you, you can have all your state laws. You can have all your national laws. We're just not going to arrest people for it. Okay? We're done. And so they would tell us that when we were working there. We're like, what? And they're like, yeah, they don't care. You, you can smoke pot. I'm like, really? Like, yeah, they won't arrest you. They publicly said they won't arrest you. So there was, that was the first stepping point. And then when it became legal, and now they make more money from it than they do from alcohol, which is incredible. They make more money in tax, because the taxes are very high. Like, it's 39% taxes for recreational marijuana. But nobody gives a fuck, because right. it's still way cheaper than alcohol. Like, you could get $10 worth of weed and be fucked up for the entire day. That's true. You know? I mean, you take one $5 pot candy. It, it, so what? It's thirty nine percent taxes. What is that? So that makes it what eight bucks. So then you then you take that one pot candy and you're barbecued. Right. That's one Jameson. Yeah, exactly. It's one drink. Uh, it's like not even close. Yeah. So like economically, it's a great thing for the city. And once once that sort of sets in that we've been lied to about that, and then all these new studies are coming out um, about the the benefits of uh, different psychedelics for PTSD. Uh, John Hopkins did a long-term study on psilocybin. They're doing new studies on psilocybin with people that are terminally ill and uh, people that are uh, they're getting towards the end of life, you know, older folks, and it's just alleviated tension, the worry and fear of death, and in a beautiful way. And then they'll realize, like, hey, you know, we can profit off this shit. Like, this is, this is more money that can be generated to help the school systems, to fix the roads, to hire new cops, to, to change the way, you know, we, we address and interface with these things and stop, stop criminalizing them. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm not as educated on all that as I would like to be, but I feel like, um, you know, once that door gets opened up, yeah. it would be a lot more beneficial than it is. Uh, you said to be, you know, hurting. Yeah. Well, we're just stuck in the momentum of an ignorant past. That's what it is. You know what I'm saying? What yeah. what kind of psychedelics have you experimented with, Gary Clark Jr.? Uh, mm -hmm. there's, I've spent a... <laughs> why are you looking at me like... <laughs> I just started sweating. 
<laughs> I look like I could be a cop. Yeah, I was like, oh man, I was like, man, what did I walk into? Hold on a minute. <laughs> um, yeah, I spent a little time. I I, I love uh, psychedelic mushrooms. Mm. It's been a long time, but um, I I definitely have uh, experimented. I feel like I've gained some things from those experiences. Uh, that's about it. That's a that's a good one, though. Mushrooms yeah. and weed, yeah, they're both excellent combination. I love it. Well, Texas is a great place for it too, because Texas there's a lot of mushrooms that grow wild out there. Yeah, yeah, we um we used to kind of have parties where we would run around and go pick them and you know. Did you really? Yeah, it was kind of gross, but <laughs> picking them off couch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was disgusting. Yeah. But how did you know they were the right ones though? Uh I is the group of people I surrounded myself ah. with. The yeah. People that my mom said you should stay away from them. <laughs> <laughs> Those mycologists. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was just kind of like a. Uh, I was hanging with the, the right crowd. The right crowd. The right crowd. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. It turns out to be the right crowd. Right. Well, the right crowd. You know, the ones that your mom probably told you should hang out with. They're on fucking antidepressants right now, freaking out. Hitting yeah. midlife, wondering what the fuck they're doing with themselves, having children, being being trapped in some job where they're, you know, most likely with the, the people that go the way that everybody wanted us to go, like whether it's a lawyer or successful businessman, they're stressed the fuck out, right. working long, crazy hours. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I totally agree. I mean, I feel like regardless of or despite the... Uh, the tension that I had, I mean, I grew up kind of like very strict, very, um, you know, I was raised like Baptist, you know, very straight, very strict family, military. So any of that was, you know, completely taboo. And I would, that would be my ass if they found out anything about it. But for some reason, I felt like I wanted to break out and, and discover on my own, you know what I mean? And not kind of not be locked into what was just laid out for me you know yeah and um so yeah you're right it turned out being the right crowd and, uh, <laughs> Look, you know? you're doing great well yeah, yeah. that's just seems to be a, th a common theme suppression leads to you know trying to alleviate that suppression by just not listening uh, by you uh, just going crazy by exploring taking chances oftentimes like the most strict upbringings b deliver a, a, a child that is like more prone to rebellion mm. And you just kids don't like to be told what the fuck to do. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, you're there. Exactly. <laughs> it's normal. Don't tell me what to do. I'm well, especially do exactly what I'm exact opposite. Yeah, and I'm sure you're probably going to impart that into your own children too, because you kind of remember. I, I, I certainly do with my children. I remember being told what to do, and it just drive me fucking crazy. Yeah, people don't like it. They 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 don't mind rules if the rules make sense. Like, hey, don't stick a fork into the electric socket because you could fucking die. Right. Oh, okay. That's a big one at my yeah. house right now. <laughs> <laughs> How old's your kid? Just turned one. Oh, yeah. Figured they're... out how to open a door and walk like within two days. Mm, boy or girl? Boy. Yeah, they're mobile, man. It's like, boy. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. They start checking. And plus, they wake up. They don't say shit. And you might be sleeping. And they're like, let me just fucking check out what's going on in this house. Yeah. Why is that cord puck stuck in the wall? Pop. Hmm, there's some holes in there. You know, some other shit would fit in there, like coins. You know, and then they start sticking things in there. It's blowing my mind right now. <laughs> anyway. 
Yeah, they're uh, they're fascinating. They're little people, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm trying to you know definitely be conscious of 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 that, you know, as as he grows and 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 uh, I wouldn't mind questioning why. Yeah, that, there's the whole because. Right, because I said. Yeah. 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 I can't can't do that. Yeah. I can't do that to. Uh, it's, it it drives me fucking nuts. Of course. Well, I I have a, a theory on all that stuff. I think that every generation gathers up the information of how the previous generation fucked up. And as long as there's no cataclysmic disasters and we're not living in Mad Max times where it's like desperado days and everyone's fending for themselves and it's just about survival, then things just keep getting better. Right. Well, now you can pull out your mobile device and, you know, figure out what's really happening, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, that's kind of a trip. Oh yeah. I mean, to kind of grow up and, and just not really know, not have access like we have access now. Mm -hmm. I mean, it still blows my mind. Like the, I forget sometimes that if I want to know something, I can just Google. Yeah, instantly. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I saw, I saw something you were talking about, these Google Glasses. Yeah. And like, you know, these whole, uh, <clears throat> being these, I don't know what it is. It, it's, uh, my buddy Chris was trying to tell me about it as well. Well, there's a bunch of different kinds. There's the regular Google Glasses, which a lot of people have seen, which is a very small lens that sits on, like, mock frames. It looks like a glass frame without any glasses in it. And then there's one small window. But that didn't really catch on. So what they're working on now is contact lenses that do the same thing. And But the Google the Glass thing, you had, like, a, a little swipe thing, and you could, like, swipe left and right and move it around, like, so you could... Go like I could say I could Google Gary Clark images, and I would see in that little tiny window images of you, and I could just swipe through them. You could say navigate to um, the Hollywood Bowl, and it would take it would show you Google Maps how to get to the Hollywood Bowl, and it would talk to you in your ear. But people didn't like it because it looked goofy, and and when people were wearing them, other people got pissed off. Like, are you yeah. filming me? Yeah, like, yeah. what are you doing? Because you could film with them too. So now they're, they've moved to contact lenses, which they haven't really released yet, but they're working on them. And then there's another one that's way crazier, which is like goggles. These are like ski goggles. And when you put these motherfuckers on, you're going to be able to play video games in 3D space. You're going to have like three-dimensional holograms around you. That's the thing. That's the thing. I was wondering about. Is so that called Magic Leap or no? Magic Leap is a... One. Magic Leap and the HoloLens by Microsoft. That's the one with yeah. the goggles, right? The HoloLens. But yeah, what do you think about that? It's crazy. This is just step one. I've actually been talking about this on stage recently because I'm actually kind of freaked out about it. That we're going to enter a world within the next hundred years where artificial reality is indistinguishable from regular reality. It's the matrix. It's 100% going to happen. If we don't blow ourselves up, if we don't die from disease, if we don't get hit by an asteroid, we're going to be able to figure out a way to trick the mind into thinking it's experiencing things that it's not experiencing. Whether, how long it takes is just subjective, but it, whatever the amount of time it is in the, the history of the universe or the history of this planet, it's a blink. And in one blink, you're not going to be able to tell whether reality is real or not. You're going to be able to plug into something, and you're going to be able to have artificial experiences. 
so like we could do this. Yeah. Be like, hey. Yeah. We might be doing it right now. That's what's fucked up about it. When when scientists study artificial reality and they study what they call computer simulation theory, the the real mind fuck is it's hard to tell whether or not this is a simulation and that it's very likely that it could be that our entire universe could be some sort of a massive simulation that we're experiencing and might not even be like a computer simulation. It might be some sort of a simulation that's going on like at a cellular level, like some sort of a mass hallucination. Wow. Yeah. I mean, these are not, these are not my theories, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. I think about that. These are not, you know, my ideas. Wow. Yeah. I don't even know what to say. Well, just think about what you said, right, about Google, right, about being able to go to your phone and have all the answers. When you were a kid, that was magic. That was magic. Right. The idea behind that was insane just 20 years ago. 1996, the idea of being able to do that was insane. Everybody would be like, what in the fuck are you talking about? You're going to be able to reach in your phone. You're going to be able to touch a piece of glass. You, can not, you don't even have to touch it. You press a button. You talk to it. And it'll tell you anything you need to know. Like, what? How the fuck is that possible? You're going to be able to watch videos on it. Shut the fuck up. You're going to be able to watch movies on it. You're going to be able to play hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of music on it and it'll sound beautiful and it'll all be a thing that's so slim and sleek it fits right in your pocket like we're already living in some crazy movie that they didn't even predict in star trek yeah star trek they had walkie talkies remember that's crazy it is crazy i'm just getting old (laughs) (laughs) what is this jamie uh, Microsoft added a new update to what HoloLens is going to look like. This is what they think watching sports will be like in the future. Kind of just like what watching football, oh, a football game might. Oh, you'd be able to watch it in front of you? Yeah, all sorts of like the players. You can have players and stats pop up in your like living room and get extra. Whoa. It looks really cool. So everyone's just going to sit down and put these goggles on instead of having a television. Or with the television, so you'll have extra stuff with the TV. Look at this. I, mean, I can only imagine what like a UFC event, watching that would be like. You know what I mean? You get extra stats on the players. And, uh, well, be really cool. also, probably we'll put a big camera on the referee, yeah. so you'd be inside uh, of it. Or watching watch from their view, you know what I mean? Watching from any player's view if you choose to, if they can pull that off with some Well, they probably could do stuff. that with players. They wouldn't be able to do it with fighters, but... With uh, Pride, they used to have a camera that they would put on the referees. It was this crazy, dorky thing. It was, like, real big and clunky. It was like a camera that sat next to their head, and they would, uh, they would wear that thing. And it was kind of cool to see it from their, their perspective. But that was fairly rudimentary, considering it was, like, early 2000s. Like, what this is going to be is going to be bananas. But then you got to hang out with goggles on. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you and your friends have to have goggles. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's it's kind of like the silent disco thing. What's the silent disco thing? Silent disco is like where people, like a whole bunch of people, hang out in a room or a club, and they have headphones on, and there's like there's DJs, and you can decide if you want to go with DJ A or DJ B, and so there's a bunch of people just like dancing in a silent room with headphones on. Really? Like having a great time. Where? And it's like, do you want a drink? What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, is this it right here? Are you showing me this, Jamie? 
so there's these people they're dancing around and they just have different wireless headsets on yeah oh okay oh this is crazy everyone's just listening to the same thing there's just no out like no one outside can hear you it's right fun. well that's good to, to your neighbors that's it's awesome in that way it's great for your neighbors yeah you don't have to be rude because it's like that one asshole on your block who has a party, but his music taste sucks. <laughs> there was this party that they had near my neighborhood about 10 years ago, and it was the most fucking depressing, like, trapped in the... It was like... Let me try to remember what kind of music there. But it was like Captain and Tennille or some shit. It was so bad. It was just like, like how are they cranking this? Like, what the fuck are they doing? You want to show up at their house with, like, some... Well, that's a bad example. I can't remember what it was because I blocked it out like <laughs> childhood molestation. It was it was so bad. They were they were playing this fucking terrible. But it was like this asshole was playing it loud. Like he it wasn't it, you couldn't even enjoy. It was so loud. There's no way he was enjoying it. He was enjoying showing off that he was having a party with this shitty music that him and his dying friends were playing. What do you listen to? I listen to a lot of classic rock. A lot. Like, as I get older, it just seems like I'm becoming that old dude that listens to classic rock. Like, I listen to a lot of Leonard Skinner, a lot of Hendrix. I've been listening to a lot of, um, boy, just almost anything from the 60s and the early 70s is what a lot of, a lot of what I listen to. I listen to a lot of Credence lately. Credence. Yeah. That's good. I, um, Fogarty's voice used to kind of mess me up, but I've come to, like, accept <laughs> appreciate yeah the, the tone and and like the you know comes from a heartfelt place when i was younger i couldn't what's he saying yeah you gotta there's certain music that you gotta revisit as you hit different stages in life i think there's certain music that i wasn't into and then i'll go back now and now i can get into it credence is one of those yeah, yeah. like my friends in high school were in the credence and i'm like Whoa. yeah I, in high school pe people were listening to uh, the Houston, like, Swisher House, Paul Wall. Mm -hmm. um, That's all, like, cough syrup music, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From <laughs> it to see. It's like, so it was, it was uh, that UGK, Outkast, a lot of Dave Matthews. A lot Dave of, Matthews. Yeah, Jesus I went to. Christ. Yeah, I went to like this. I went to this Anthony school. Bourdain just shut this podcast off right no, now. No, no, no. Like, That's it. <laughs> no, We're no, done no. here. But it was different. Uh, Corey Morrow, Robert Earl Keane, like a lot of it was different. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, um, and some of it I've come to appreciate, and some of it I've just kind of left behind. I like Outcast. Outcast, they do a lot of experimental shit. They Love do, them. Yeah, they're great. They do a lot of interesting. Didn't. Didn't that one dude from Outcast wasn't he supposed to play Jimi Hendrix? He did. He yeah. did. Yeah, he did that movie. I never did heard you see about it? it. No. Yeah. I never never heard a thing about it. Really? It just came and went. Did you see it? Yeah, I saw it out here. How was it? Uh it was good as far as the story. I mean, it was um I felt like uh um Andre played Hendrix great. Uh there was a lot of stuff that I didn't know. Wasn't but, that where they had to do different music because they couldn't use the Hendrix music? Yeah, so that that for me was kind of fucked me up a little bit. A little bit because it, it was it was That's the kinda, it was recreated and then being a guitar player. Oh, 
wasn't quite on. Oh, so no. it really kind of, like, it really kind of, it messed me up. But, I, I mean, the story was, was great. And I think Andre did a great job. And the cast did a great job considering what they, you know, were working with. But there was no Hendrix music. And, oh, how could they should have scrapped the project or paid up, paid the family. You got to pay the family. If you want to make a fucking documentary or a biopic about arguably the greatest guitarist that's ever lived, you got to use his fucking music. And you got to give his parents the money or whoever, whoever's alive. Give them the money. Yeah. You got to pay him. It's the only way you're going to do it right. Otherwise, you're going to get a movie like that where we don't talk about it. I and agree. it just goes in and out. Yeah. The guitar thing must drive you crazy, though, when you know he's not really playing that. I couldn't handle it. <laughs> I couldn't handle it. Because me, on a much lesser scale, I'm not a professional pool player, but when I watch someone in a movie and I know they can't really play pool, it's very obvious. You see the way a guy's holding a stick, right. the way the stick moves in their arm. It's like, have you ever seen someone hold a cigarette that doesn't really smoke? And you could tell. Yeah. Like a smoker can tell like almost immediately when someone doesn't actually smoke. Or at least someone who is not aware of how people who smoke smoke. I'm sure an actor can figure out how to smoke like a smoker, a lot easier than someone could figure out how to play guitar and mimic it. Right. Because when I see someone who can't play pool in a movie and you're like, you know, pool hall junkies or something like that, I'm like, shit, get that fucking thing off the television. It drives me crazy. Like, that guy can't play. He can't play. There's no, he's doing it all wrong. I know he's look at his bridge. Look at the way he's holding it. This is bullshit. And that's something real similar. I mean, yeah. real simple, rather. It's just a, the movement of an arm. And I could tell, but for fingers and keys and the way a guy's sounding, I mean, that must be bananas to you. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, it drove me nuts. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to say. I was like, fuck, somebody fix it. Yeah, what the but fuck, man? How do they not have I, like a coordinator? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. But, you know. Unless you're bullshit and unless it's like a crazy kung fu movie, like, Obviously, I have a connection to martial arts where if I know someone's doing something that's not really going to work, it'll drive me crazy. Yeah. But if he's like, wah, like fucking pulling people's hearts out and flying through the air and throwing sidekicks through buildings, I'm, I'm willing to suspend disbelief, <laughs> you know? But you can't do that for Jimi Hendrix in a fucking biopic. Yeah, that's true. I got a question for you. One of my favorite shows growing up was Kung Fu with David Carradine. Yeah. How did you feel about oh, that? Oh, bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it when, when I was a kid, though. Right. But you watch it now, and you're like, what? But it was basically fighting people who didn't know how to fight. Like, there was no one he fought. Like, some dude came out and was a legit Muay Thai fighter, started kicking his legs. And right. David Carradine, you know, just pulled right. his throat out and killed him. It was like some drunk guy with the beer mug. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I don't think he really learned Kung Fu for that show. I don't know, but it didn't seem like he did. It seemed like he had very little that seemed like a real martial arts move yeah i, I don't I, I i recently went back a couple of years ago and like bought the series and watched the whole thing because as a kid i loved it it was yeah. like oh, my dad would put it on here you go son learn something you know lessons about how not to be an asshole yeah and um so yeah but i watched it recently and i was wondering i was like what are these guys so you know guys who like really know what's up how do you feel about this because i don't know you know what i mean right right so yeah, yeah no one respects it <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was a good show in terms of it was interesting like if you take out the martial arts element of it it's an interesting show right. you got this guy who's uh raised in a 
like a monastery and then he's wandering through the old west it's kind of a cool premise mm. you know the premise behind it is really interesting you know and he was like this real calm peaceful guy who wasn't an asshole at all it could not have been nicer right and that was a, a unique character because there'd really never been anybody on television that was like that just like this enlightened peaceful guy you know, he had long hair and shit, and he's just kind of a hippie, and he's wandering through life, and people keep fucking with him. They right. just keep fucking with him. Right. You know? <laughs> it was interesting in that way. Like, it made a lot of people want to pretend they're that guy. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I was one of them. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely one of them. <laughs> yeah. Like, how so? How so? Yeah, how were you one of them? I mean, I, I just, just the attitude, just the, you know... I would. I was waiting for a moment, you know. I wish somebody would, so I could quiet chain cane that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the opposite, though. He wished somebody would be peaceful, right? I and know. You're like, I, I wish somebody I know, would, but I just. I mean, I was a kid, so I could. Right. You know, of course. I, I love that. Yeah. Speaking of being inspired, man, you know, one of my favorite things that I love to do, which I haven't done in a while, was, was, um, you know, catch up and, and watch the UFC, you know, and get into that. And um, I was sitting around and starting to kind of feel like a piece of shit, drinking too much and <laughs> whatever. And so I was, you know, looking at these guys, you know, training and, and doing what they do. So it kind of inspired me to get on my bike and get the heavy bag and get on the weights and, and do my thing. And uh, I was really into it. I haven't been been keeping up for a while and kind of got the gut to show it. And I'm working on it. I need to get back on my game is what I'm saying. Do you want to train while you're in L.A.? Is that what you're saying? I would love to. I'll find I you a need place. To. I need to do something. Well, we'll talk man. off the air, and yeah. uh, I'll, I'll get you. Like, are you interested in taking jujitsu, or what are you interested in doing? Well, uh, whatever was, was kind of right for for me and my build, and mm -hmm. and uh, well, I don't have a whole lot of time, but I'm definitely interested in, in getting back into it and getting my mind focused. The real reality is, there's different styles of jujitsu that are great for every build, and and when I say different styles, I mean different approaches to. Mm. Jiu-Jitsu is so broad. There's so many different techniques and there's so many different strategies and so many different moves and counter moves that your build is perfect for Jiu-Jitsu. You're long and tall. You have long arms and long legs, and you can catch people in chokes that a stubby little dude like me can't because I have short arms and short legs, you know? It's different, but different builds like mine are dip better for certain positions. Right. You know, like there's this guy, Husamar Paul Harris, who's... He's like me, but more exaggerated. He's way thicker and more muscular, and he just tears people's legs apart. He's a leg lock specialist. And there's a lot of other guys that are smaller that is like really fast, and they're good at taking people's backs, like Marcelo Garcia. But um, there's a lot of tall guys in jiu-jitsu. There's a, definitely an advantage. There's an advantage of leverage, like just mechanical leverage from having long limbs. Mm -hmm. It's good for striking too, though, man. It's good for learning uh, striking arts. Like if I if I had to say like if there's one build that has like the most definitive advantages I would say tall and long because it's harder to hit you because you're further away from me like you can hit me in a place where I can't hit you like right. how tall are you six four you're six four I'm five eight so you're dealing with all that you're dealing with eight extra inches mm -hmm. so there's eight extra inches between like your head and my head which may or may not translate as far as like uh, how long your arms are how long your legs are. But definitely there's, a, there's at least a few inches of advantage, which means, like, if we were both throwing punches at the same time, you would hit me before I would hit you, and I probably would never hit you because of that. Because you would hit me, like, as I was throwing a punch and I'd get fucked up, 
Like that's that's a big advantage. Like John Jones, the UFC mm-hmm. uh, former light heavyweight champion, he's like the best at you because he's a big, tall dude, and he's the best at like using that advantage. It's one of the best advantages of being long and tall. Right. Yeah, I'm ready. You ready? I need okay, to you, you check moving your jacket I need, around. I need to do something. I know I'm like balling up my fist <laughs> while you're talking. I'm like, yeah, let's do this. Well, it's a great way to blow off energy and stress. Yeah, I need that as well. Yeah, definitely. People get addicted to it. Like we was talking about Bourdain. Um, he didn't even start doing it until he was 58 and uh, 57, 58, and now he does it every day. He does jujitsu every day. He really? loves it. He's obsessed with it. Yeah, a lot of musicians get into it. Um, I know a lot of musicians that are into jujitsu. They, because it becomes like a, a martial arts really are an art form. It right. doesn't seem an art form to the outsider because people they, they say, oh, it's just fighting, it's just brutality. But the reality is, there's way, way, way more people who are into martial arts who never get into a fight ever mm-hmm. than than people who use it either in competition or use it for self defense. It's uh, it's it's a form of art. It's an expression, and when you watch someone pull off a move. It's beautiful. It's just, it's one of those things that seems to be only beautiful for people who understand it. But for people who understand it, it's amazing. Yeah. No, I mean, I can respect it. I, I kind of understand what's going on. I can appreciate it. Like, mm. you know, someone playing a nice solo or right. something and executing it well. So yeah. I can kind of get that, you know, the, the art, the, what it takes to pay attention and be in that moment and, and you know, uh, execute. It's a bunch. It's that. It's a bunch of other factors too. It's setting up uh, an, uh, an attack that either the person couldn't anticipate or couldn't figure out what to do in time, and then it locks in. And then once it locks in, you're like, "Oh, sh- it's beautiful." It's yeah. like it's like a painting or a work of art or a masterful guitar solo or any of those things. Art is your your dedication, your focus. And, and then the expression and the results of that dedication and focus in a, mm-hmm. in a way where, like, if I watch someone pull off a move that I don't know how to do, it's particularly beautiful to me because I'm like, oh, shit, look how he did that. Like, there's certain moves that I'll have to replay, like, over and over and over again. Like, I'll watch certain setups, like, over and over and over again until I get it into my head. And and I didn't – this so many different ways to move the body that there's a lot of like I've been doing jujitsu since 1996 and there's still a bunch of moves that I don't know mm-hmm. I don't understand and I have to go oh how did he do that how did he do that but today like we're talking about like with Google we're so lucky that we could just go to YouTube videos and one of the beautiful things about jujitsu is it used to be that martial arts were like a secret this is the secret death touch Right. And nobody would tell you that secret death touch. Right. It didn't exist. Right, it was right. bullshit. The reality of jujitsu is almost every move people are dying to explain to people because people love learning new shit. People that are jujitsu artists love learning new stuff. So people that are jujitsu artists that have a new move love to put that move online. It's a big part of the community. A huge part of the community is sharing and openness. So like everybody does seminars and everybody teaches everybody everything. But in the early days... It wasn't like that. Even the early days of jiu-jitsu, when what happened was in 1993, when the UFC was created, people first started to see jiu-jitsu and they're like, what the fuck? But there was a lot of moves like triangles and things like along those lines where I had friends that would take classes at certain schools and they would say, hey, you know, Hoist Gracie tapped out Dan Severn with a triangle. How do I do that? And the teacher was like, you're not ready for that yet. Like, I can't teach you that yet. Like that's that's a black belt technique or that's a purple belt technique or whatever. And they just and people like turned off to it. And then they found other 
more unconventional, open-minded schools that immediately taught everybody everything. Mm. And those are the schools that became prosperous. Those schools were really successful. And the schools that held people back, they never produced champions. They never produced any like real notable jujitsu players. And the open-minded, like experimental schools, those are the ones that blew up. It's really interesting in that way. Yeah. Like the free exchange of information overwhelmingly won out in the world of jujitsu. That makes sense to me. It does, right? Yeah. So how does it, like, um, like I, I have a same kind of appreciation for, like, uh, mar- like the art, martial arts, comedy, music, um, you know, anything like that. Like, I can appreciate the hard work and everything that goes back into it. So do you feel the same way about martial arts as, like, comedy, or do you approach it the same way, or? Well, like, um, in in some ways, yeah. In some ways, it's it's about practice, dedication, application, and reality. Like, if something's not funny, it's just not funny. If people don't laugh, they just don't laugh. And if a technique doesn't work, it just doesn't work. Yeah. You know, if you can't pull it off, if somebody chokes you, they just choked you. Right. You know? <laughs> That's it. You could be a 20-year black belt, right? And some dude catches you in a guillotine. He's only been doing jujitsu for six months. But someone teaches him how to do this, grab your arm like that, pull it underneath someone's neck, wrap your legs around him and squeeze, and you can't get out? Well, he tapped you, even if he's only been doing jiu-jitsu for six months and you've been doing jiu-jitsu for 30 years. It's, it's, it's still real. If a right. guy taps you, they tap you. It's just, there's no, if, it's like, it's one of the things I love about pool. The ball either goes in the hole or it doesn't go in the hole. It doesn't matter if you either knock it in the hole or you don't. There's no, I almost made that shot. That doesn't mean jack shit. <laughs> You know, it doesn't mean anything. Oh man, I'm that asshole who says that. <laughs> well, we all say it, but the, you know the reality of the actual winning of the game, right? Right. It's it's a personality thing. Like sometimes people can get really far on a bullshit personality and a lot of bravado and a lot of bragging and a lot of false stories and 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 then the actual application in life is they've sort of skirted through with all the dance moves and all the personality, yeah. but they don't have any real substance to it. That doesn't work in jiu-jitsu, just like it doesn't really work in comedy. Comedy, like, personality accounts for a certain amount of the audience accepting you, but ultimately, if your concepts aren't there, and if you don't have, like, a good setup, if you don't know how to deliver it in a way that people are going to, like, it's going to easily enter into their mind, and they're going to, like, carry along, then it it either works or it doesn't. And Mm. there's, there's, there's some parallel truths in that, in martial arts and in comedy in that way. Right. Yeah. Um yeah, I'm 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 very intrigued by all of it, so you know, I'm that's why I'm asking. So I'm, I'm very curious. I wanna get in there. Well, all complex systems, whether it's music, uh writing, um creating a movie, anything, complex things are fascinating to me too. Because I just, I, you know, I, like I've never made a movie, but I want to see like CGI animators. I go watch this uh, this um, documentary on uh, guys making uh, animated scenes for films, like special effects scenes. And I, I think to myself, wow, that is fascinating. Like they're creating an artificial world. And inside that artificial world, they have these creatures moving. And they have these people that have to put on these motion capture suits and go through the motions pretending they're interacting with these things that aren't even there. And then someone has to piece it. It's amazing to me. It's yeah. amazing to me. But I'm not going to do it. I don't have any time. Right. You know? <laughs> but but I, I look at that the same way I kind of look at music or the same way I look at writing or comedy or anything. 
So it's fascinating to me watching someone go after something and, and, and put it together and make something that is almost unfathomable take place. Whether it's a creation of an album, whether it's a, you know, a comedy special, whether it's a, someone writes an amazing book. I love when people get shit done. Right. Yeah, I do too. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, as artists, right, like, does that, like, as, as an artist, does that inspire you when you see, like, if you go to see a great movie or you read a great book or something like that, does that inspire you to want to create? Yeah, it, it doesn't inspire me to create a, write a book. Or, right, right, right. Or, but um, I think I kind of know what my lane is at this point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I try to stay in it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'll definitely go see a, a, a movie or or read or you know and and it'll get my creative juices flowing mm. and and you know inspire me to to be to just be better and try and contribute you know what i mean contribute something good or be positive and make make myself feel something or make somebody else feel something i don't know it it does something to me definitely it's hard to describe i still can't un, you know describe what it is that makes this creative thing um click or, or explain how I'm, I do what I do but uh you know definitely seeing movies or hearing you know hearing um you know like great musicians great guitar players sometimes you know to freak me out mm, and yeah. I'll go oh shit my ego gets involved <laughs> a little bit you know what I mean I'm like this motherfucker but yeah. you know it's like okay I respect that let me go get on yeah. get on my game and and do my thing. There's this, uh, oh man, there's this, uh, this guitar player, um, down in Austin, Texas, who I haven't seen in a while. And, uh, his name's Derek O'Brien. He's one of the greatest blues guitar players in the world. Played, backed up Muddy Waters, um, Albert Collins, Albert King, everybody. He's like in the house band at, at Anton's, this, this club. Um, I hadn't seen him in a while, and so I go back home, and you know, I got my little reputation, and you know, people are like, "Oh, you know, you this, that, that, that," and I'm, you know, I'm like, "All right, I know my strengths and weaknesses," and but I was feeling good about myself, and then I got up on stage, and let this, you know, this guy was just ripping it, and I just, in that moment, I was like, "Fuck." <laughs> <laughs> It's like, I ain't got shit on this guy. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, it was, a, it was a nice reality check. So I immediately went back and, you know, started to shed. And, and I've been kind of doing it since. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing about being around inspiring artists. It's one of the cool things about being in a place like in L.A. or like Nashville. Or if you're a musician, if that's your style of music or Austin or anywhere where there's a good group of people that are also doing the same thing. It's yeah. like you use those people and they use you and everybody's like fuel for each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's, uh, I'm starting to kind of figure out the scenes here in, in LA a little bit more as well. You know, I went out the other night and had like this, you know, sitting in uh, jazz musicians and, you know, really like the the best of the best. You know, people are on top of the game. Folks who can read charts, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> When you, um, do you practice, like, do you go to, like, are there certain clubs that a, a musician like you can go and just fuck around with new stuff? Like, 
for stand-ups, we'll go to the comedy store and we'll practice or we'll go to the improv and we'll practice. Like if I have some new bits that I'm working on, right. I will go there and I'll air them out. Right. Um, yeah, in, in Austin, where I'm from, uh, there's this spot every Sunday they will have a blues jam, you know. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, you would either go sit in with um, people that you don't know or haven't played with before or whatever and, you know, try out some new chords. Maybe you learned something fancy that could, you know, transition chord, you know, to, you know, go from the one to the five on the turnaround in the slow blues or whatever in the key of C, whatever, you know. So you go work that out and... um or you bring your squad. I mean, me and my buddy Zapata would, he plays in my band. Like, we would go up sometimes and, you know, know a drummer that kind of knew how we flowed and a bass player who could pick up on something. Like, we got this new track. We're about to fuck people up with this. And <laughs> either it would work or it wouldn't. But yeah, there was those places. And um, yeah, that's kind of the fuel, you know, to be in those spots and be around other players and get up and do their thing. Um, yeah, that's. There's nothing like that. Yeah. So for you, when you create music, is it um, like, do you just get an idea? Like, how? Do, what is the creation process from? Is it Does it vary? Or is there a specific creation process from the moment you get an idea to putting it to paper or to remembering it and making a song and putting the beat to it and putting, putting the sounds to it? Um, it's kind of an unorganized mess. I, I haven't figured out a process. And um, I don't think it's a mess. I, I think it just comes naturally. Like I'll have a guitar and I might, you know, have a chord progression and it'll just kind of stick. And then I'll put a melody over it. I'll be singing something around the house and, you know, grab the guitar and put that together. Or, um, you know, with technology, I love being able to travel and, you know, I travel a lot. So on airplane or on the bus, I'll pull out an NPC or something and kind of put in drum tracks and build from there or whatever. So it it all just kind of depends on where I am and what I have access to. And, um, uh, but now having a little one, being at home, I've got to, like, take advantage of my time. It's like, oh, you have an hour here? Go try and make something happen. Right, right. Um, so it's ever ever changing it. But it just whatever feels right, you know. I don't think it if if it becomes too much of a formula then i think it'll lose its uh its raw organic kind of what i got into it for right. which is kind of the not knowing and not not having any rules or you know so yeah it it just depends. That's a real common thing that you said that a lot of people say that once they had a kid, they realize that their free time is actually precious. So because kids demand so much time, babies demand so much time, and mm. you, you just really don't have much, mm -hmm. to, you start going, okay, the kid's asleep, whew, let's get to work. Mm -hmm. you know, and you actually get more done because you have children than you did when you were free. Oh, man. I would sit around and, <laughs> you know, I was singing, living by myself, I'd be working on a song for eight hours. I'd have yeah. a loop playing, you know, and just, yeah. uh, you know, let me go get some food. I'll come back to that. Maybe something awesome would, maybe I'll, I'll get like the genius idea or whatever. And, um, 
yeah, I spent two months working on one song. You know, I don't, you don't have that much time anymore. So yeah, it's a blessing. You know, kind of like get your shit together. You're gonna do it or you're not. Yeah, Louis C.K. was the first person to tell me that, and I didn't. It was so counterintuitive. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, I actually, I get a lot more done now that I have children than I did when I was free to do whatever I wanted. He's like, now I'm just under the gun all the time. Mm. So that's how I get things done. Mm. Yeah, well, creatively, I guess. Yeah. For for me, I mean, we spend so much time out on the road. Like, we're gone a lot. So it's, I kind of need my quiet time. Mm. And there's not really a lot of quiet time with a bunch of dudes hanging around. Right. Smelling like ass. You know, yeah, um, yeah. It's just a, it's it's a lot, and I can't really function that way. So I kind of have to be home in order to be creative and and do that. When you go on the road, do you do like long stretches? Like you go on the road for like two months at a time and have a bunch of dates laid out for you? Yeah, we. I mean, we take off here next week, and we're pretty much gone um, until. Maybe August or something. Whoa. I mean, we, we'll have a few days here and there where I'll come back home and, uh, you know, we'll be. In so, one do you bring spot your family with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll come with me sometimes. And, um, yeah, like we just, they just came with us. We were in Australia and, you know, just did the whole trip, you know. That's on a the planes flight. and everything. Woo, that flight. Yeah. That flight wrecks you. It's not my favorite. It's not my favorite either. I kind of hate it. Yeah. Somebody just offered me a trip to New Zealand, a vacation trip to New Zealand. I was like, bitch, that's not a vacation. <laughs> nah, that's work. That's, <laughs> that's work. 16 hours in a fucking plane or whatever the hell it is. Like, come on. That's n- there's nothing vacation-y about that. Yeah. I, it's beautiful over yeah. there. Yeah. You know, but by the time you can get over there, you're tired and you just want to go back home. I would think that it would be a vacation for someone who didn't travel all the time. But for someone like you or someone like me who's always traveling, it's like, what? Yeah, I kind of like to be at home. Yeah. I'm kind of boring that way. It's like I could be at my house for like three days straight. Yeah, but that's also because you travel so much. It's in direct contrast to that. So it's a welcome change. Right, but I got guys on my crew who will get right off tour and just go hit it. Really? Yeah. Single guys, though? Nah. Really? Yeah, like get off the plane, uh, you know, from a tour and then just like bust off my boy went to cuba you know, like going on tour for for it seemed like what forever and then he's like chilling in cuba like oh, wow man, that seems exhausting like, <laughs> you know but uh, cuba you know. is one of those places though i think I, I need to go to i think i need to go to it before it changes it's yeah so soon yeah because right now there's no internet they don't have any internet Right. You, you, you can't keep track of your emails. There's like a couple spots where yeah. you could get like 3G. My boy Chris Krishna found them. Yeah. How he found them? He's, he found them. He was like, <laughs> I love it. What's up, Chris? He goes, <laughs> he goes. Oh, I'm going down to Cuba. I'm not going to be able to. I'm not going to be able to uh, get in touch with you. Um, <clears throat> and I was like, all right, man. You know, I get it. Cool. Have fun. And then I get this call from this weird number. He's like, yo, I found the one spot. I was like, man, why don't you just enjoy, you know, chill out. <laughs> just be off the, off grid, the grid for a minute, you know? It's hard. Yeah. It's hard for people. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things I like most about uh, hunting trips. Like, a lot of them, you're in places where you don't have a choice. You're in the middle of a mountain. Right. There's nothing up here, dude. Nothing. 
you might be able to get to the top of a mountain and send someone a text message. Right. They might not be able to reply, and they might not even get it. They might just get lost in the air somewhere. Yeah, that's kind of where I need to go to go write my songs and stuff. Mm. Just get out. So hunting trips, dude, I saw this thing of you. It's like this big-ass, what was it, like a moose? Oh, moose leg. Yeah. I was like walking through the airport, walking through somewhere, and I was, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I felt like this small of a, like a man. I was like, dude, this guy's beast mode right now. <laughs> well, um, that was uh, intentionally, yeah. they wanted to make something that was like as in your face about the realities of meat as possible. Right. You know, I got into it with some people on twitter the other day because i like i like to troll vegans occasionally i see because someone was making they were making some stupid (laughs) shit saying that saturated fats are terrible for you like they're they're, no they're not they're not there's scientific studies that show saturated fats are actually healthy for you and important for you but people think that if you hunt or if you're involved somehow in animals that you sometimes eating animals that you're a cruel person that you you want to hurt animals you want to cause pain and suffering the no I don't. I don't want to have anything to do with factory farming because mm. I don't want to be involved in that. But the animals that I'm out hunting, like if I don't get them, a wolf's getting them, or mm. a coyote's getting them, or a mountain lion's getting them. Like they're not living forever. They have right. a very short window of time where they're they're alive. They're if they're if they make it if a deer makes it to six years old, that is a really old deer, and most of them they die long before that. What I'm doing is I'm I'm dipping my feet into that wild world. And I'm um, pulling something out of it, and that's where I get all my protein from, or all my animal protein. I don't. I love animals. I think they're amazing. I have cats at home. I have dogs. It's not a, a cruelty to animals thing. And this is something that I used to think of when I thought of hunters. Like I, I saw a, a, some television show where this hunter had a dog, and he's petting his dog. I was like, how does this motherfucker differentiate between this dog and some deer? He's gonna like shoot its lungs out. Like how? That's kind of fucked up. This guy's weird. Mm-hmm. But then I got it. Like, the dog is a killer too, man. Everything, life eats life. Yeah. And it's not a matter of being cruel. It's a matter of sustainability and being alive. Then there's the reality of hunting that not everybody can hunt. Not everybody has the time. Not everybody wants to, especially in the, the world that we're, we've grown up in with cities. And it's something that took me several years to sort of get into it and really understand what it's all about and educate myself Mm -hmm. and then once i did educate myself one of the most compelling things was how ignorant most people are about the facts of hunting about the facts of wildlife about wildlife management and about just where their food comes from and even about how many animals die making grain how many people say you know i only eat you know i only eat quinoa and fucking alfalfa guess what that shit's getting chopped up in a combine and it's chewing up bunnies and fawns and rats and mice and sparrows and ground nesting birds and and you're removing the habitat when you're growing food like that for a lot of different wildlife the wildlife gets displaced and the displaced wildlife wind up getting preyed on it's like there's a lot of factors involved in in gathering food and when we're living in cities we're living in this bizarre natural environment and when i say cities are a natural environment they are a natural environment because they're 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 everywhere they're a natural environment for people like anybody says the cities aren't natural man well how come there's so many of them like what is nature what is a beehive is it a beehive nature a beehive is nature right well that's a fucking bee city okay they've created a city they know how to do it they do it everywhere 
That's the same goddamn thing people do. We create these super complicated beehives. We call them cities, and we create them all over the world. Right. It's not like there's one city, and we're like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> the cities are everywhere there are people. When people figure shit out, and they have electricity, and they have agriculture, then they have surplus, and then they, they put up fucking walls and make buildings, and then boom, we got a city, and they're everywhere you look. I think... I think there's there's just some strange detachment from where our food comes from when it's shipped in in trucks all the time. So my um, education into the world of hunting, a big part of it was like to try to figure out like I, I try to figure out bizarre things, like things that don't make sense to me. I try to figure out. I try to figure out uh, all sorts of weird misconceptions and misunderstandings. I this what fascinates me about people that are involved in cults so it fascinates me by people that have um, bad conceptions or bad thoughts about psychedelics that are untrue like people think that you know certain things are making gonna make you go crazy and lose your mind what well why is that what makes people oh well there's propaganda films from the 1930s well what started that well it was a guy named William Randolph Hearst who actually profited from marijuana being illegal like oh okay and you get I'm fascinated by shit like that so the food thing was always fascinating to me like how is how can we just go to a store and you get a piece of meat and we have no idea where the fuck this meat came from we literally just we don't even care we throw it in the supermarket you know throw it in the cart go through the supermarket give that guy a piece of plastic he runs it through the machine and you're out the door right it's strange it's it's very odd when that's a piece of life yeah i think about that too but i don't hunt but do you eat meat i do i'm guilty yeah. completely yeah. but it's not guilty it's normal to eat meat everybody like 90%, this is a fact, of the world eats meat. Right. 90, 95, depending on who you ask. But it's at least 90 of the world eats meat. Even vegetarians, most vegetarians. Some asshole said to me the other day, it's hilarious. <laughs> he goes, I'm 90% vegetarian. And I think, oh, shut the fuck up. Just, you can't say that. Yeah, how do you do, how? Would, how? That's not 90% vegetarian. That's not real. There's no such thing as 90% vegetarian. You are 100% not vegetarian if you eat meat. That's not 90% vegetarian. What you can't, his he, argument? He's he an asshole. He's a convenient, moral, high ground asshole who's just trying to let everybody know he's better than you because most of the time he doesn't eat meat. Just fuck you. Yeah, I'll just go ahead and shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was just trying to be make an argument against hunting and about about people who do it. You know, it's just he's a fool. It's convenient for people because they're completely detached on, on a daily basis. If you go to your office every day, you wake up in the morning, you have your breakfast, you drive to work, you go to work. At the end of the day, you go to the gym, you go home, you watch a little television, you crash. You get up in the morning, you do that again, and you do it five days a week. You're left with two fucking days, two days, Saturday and Sunday, if you're lucky. And if you have family, those days are spoken for. If you have friends, those days are spoken for. If you have hobbies, those are, so where's your gathering food come from? It's like you, you have to make a concerted effort if you really want to be a part of this. Uh, if you really want to deeply understand where your food comes from, you have to make a concerted effort to either grow it or acquire it. Like somehow or another, you have to go to a farm and talk to the people that are growing the food and buy it from them. Go to a farmer's market. You can meet them. Like I go to farmer's markets. It's right. kind of cool. Right. I like meeting the people that work on the farms. I ask them and talk to them about it. But the meat thing is the big detachment. Everybody kind of understands. You plant a seed, you water it, a tomato comes out. They kind of get that. But the animal part, the vast majority of people who eat meat just do not understand the whole process. They don't 
they don't want to know. They they just buy a burger. Yeah, uh, I'm starting to know a little bit more, and it freaks me out. Every it's a know, freak out, it, but you know, it's I, a freak out. I haven't quite switched over to veganism going out, or going out and hunting. Yeah, you know. Well, my thought was I was going to do one of two things. I was either going to become a vegan or I was going to become a hunter. And I became a hunter. Right. And one of the reasons why I became a hunter is, first of all, the food's delicious. It's good for you. And those animals, aren't not, they're not living forever. They're not becoming fairies and curing cancer if you don't shoot them. And they're getting eaten by all kinds of shit around them. You're, you're, just, you're just eating them as well. It's, um, it's, it's a weird disconnect that we have about where food comes from and life itself. Like life is not permanent. It's it's temporary. It's it's here and it's gone. It's fleeting. It should be respected. You know, it should be and I think one of the best ways to respect these animals and it sounds like total totally counterintuitive, but is to hunt them and eat them. They become a part of your life. They sustain you. They you know, you, you have a deep appreciation for them because they literally sustain you. Mm -hmm. They're a part of what makes you live. Yeah, that's that's real. Yeah, but you live in Texas, a lot of hunting in in Austin when you were living there. Yeah, uh, a lot of my friends, you know, they hunt, so you know they they're big on it. Um, did you ever want to go with them? I I did, but I had a I had a couple of experiences with guns when I was younger that kind of freaked me out from. From that, one of them was me being a kid, and I was had a like a play gun, and I kind of colored the red, uh, like kid oh, safety shit. thing, you black? know. You yeah, me and my buddy. So he had this like Daisy rifle. I had this little like I don't remember what it was, but so we just like we're just messing around, you know, acting like kids, and then this guy comes driving, and we point the gun at him <gasps> and this guy swerves off the road hits a mailbox like crashes his car gets out he's like what the fuck are you guys doing you know i'm nine you oh know what God. i mean he's like what the fuck are you doing you could have killed somebody what the fuck well i was just like toys you know what i mean and and his mom comes out freaking out and they didn't know that we did it my pops was like you know you gotta understand this you know life death here this is serious you gotta understand this guy didn't know that you yeah. were playing with so it kind of freaked me out and then um i went on one hunting trip and i had a 22 and it kicked me in the shoulder pretty good a 22 <laughs> kicked you yeah i'm uh, not a 22, 12 gauge a 12 gauge yeah yeah okay so yeah it kicked me yeah, in. i was like what that's like saying man i shot this slingshot one time yeah it broke my hand fucked me up <laughs> No, no, um, yeah, it's about the 12 gauge out, and, and it kicked me pretty hard, and so I just kind of lost interest, but mm. you know, that was, was a long ass time ago. Suzanne from Honey Honey wants to go pig hunting, she's yeah. so down, she keeps bringing it up. She's like, When are we going, Joe Rogan? When are we going pig hunting? Yeah, like, she's totally down to do it, yeah, definitely, you know. Yeah, my boy Mike Weed, that's what he does all the time, he lives outside of, um. A little outside of Austin, he's always going, sending me photos, sending me videos. Well, in Austin, like outside of Texas, they have a giant problem with pigs. Yeah, they have to hunt them. Yeah, you can you can go to town on them. They're everywhere. Yeah, they have no limits. You can do it. They do them from helicopters. I mean, they have a they have a whole business called Hella Hunting, 
where they, they take people up in, in helicopters and they're shooting pigs because it's the only way to eradicate them from farms because there's so many of them. And they do billions of dollars worth of damage just in Texas in crop destruction every year. They're, it's, they're wild. I mean, there's not, there's not enough mountain lions and there's no wolves. To, to, to kill them. And I didn't realize they were so dangerous, too. Oh, they're very dangerous. Right. The big ones, especially. Oh, yeah. They'll fuck you up. Yeah, that's what I heard. That's also why I don't go out there. <laughs> yeah. They'll fuck you up. They killed the, the dad in Game of Thrones, right? The first king, the original king. The one who, uh, her husband, the chick who was fucking her brother in the Game of Thrones, the hot blonde lady, her husband died because uh, he got killed by, uh, by a pig. Wait, is this in the show? I don't know. The show, Game of Thrones. Not uh, in real life, he didn't die. Uh, 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 I mean, uh, in the movie, he died from right. a wild boar. But yeah. they get fucking big, too. Yeah, I don't I mean, a 400-pound wild hog is not uncommon. That's real. Yeah, I've never seen one of them in real life. They're crazy looking. They're all black, and they have long snouts, and their tusks come out. They have these white tusks. Like, when you see one in real life, you're like, oh, you hear them in real life? First time I ever went pig hunting, I was with my friend Steve Ranella, and we're on this farm or this uh, ranch that's not far away from here. It's huge, biggest ranch in California, 270,000 acres. It's called Tahone Ranch. And um, we were walking down this road, and we heard some snaps and some noises in the bushes, like it's really thick brush. And then we heard these pigs fighting with each other, and they were like demons, man. It's like, <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> no more than 30 yards, 20 yards away from us. They're like right there and they're duking it out. And they're like, these are monsters, man. They sound like monsters. They freak me out. More than hunting bears, more than hunting elk. Not more than elk. Elk's probably the biggest freak out because they scream. They, they bugle and they're like a thousand pounds and they, they're like majestic. Like they have trees growing out of their head, these giant antlers. Yeah. And they, did you see the antlers that are in the front? They're over by the front door. Yeah. When you I saw walked that. in, that's elk. Those, those, that's like a thousand pound animal with these gigantic, I mean, they're, they're immense, immense, majestic animals. Those are the biggest freak outs just cause it's, you feel like you're, you're hunting some mystical creature. where do you find those? Those were in Tohon Ranch too. One of them was, one of those was from Tohon Ranch. One of them was from Colorado. Yeah. Crazy. But the pig thing is, uh, it's actually, look at that fucking thing. Look at the size of that thing. 11-year-old hunter bags a 1,050-pound wild boar. What the <laughs> fuck? Just what the fuck? First of all, with a pistol. This is a perspective shot, which is actually kind of important because, like, that boy is way behind that thing. He's not, like, right next to it. So if he's behind it by just, you know, six or seven feet and the camera's on the ground, they're shooting it at eye level, it makes it look a lot bigger than it really is. That's how they do it. Um, so... But a thousand pounds is a fucking thousand pounds. That's a giant ass pig. Have you ever seen Hogzilla? Have I seen it? Have you seen the images of Hogzilla? Have you heard of this? No. Nah. This is like one of the biggest wild pigs that was, that was ever killed. It was, uh, I believe it was in Georgia. Yeah. <clears throat> is that, did they have a photo of Hogzilla? There's one where it's hanging. There, that one right there, Jamie. Look at the size of the one that's hanging next to this guy. Look at the fucking size of that thing. So that's not a perspective shot. That guy's standing right next to that thing. What? Yeah, what? First of all, are those his balls up at top? Because if that's his balls, respect. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a crazy sack. 
That's like a couple of watermelons in an old lady's pantyhose. Yeah, that's what? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a giant fucking giant balls. How big was it? Over a thousand pounds. Yeah. Nah, yeah, wildly considered either. widely originally it was widely considered a hoax hmm well they what happens is they take domestic pigs are one of the few animals that morph automatically when they get out into the wild like if you have a, a pig and he's your buddy and you let him loose out in the forest they change physically their nose gets longer their hair gets shaggier and their teeth grow longer their tusks grow and their behavior changes they, they go feral, and they go feral really quickly. I think within, like, a couple of months, they start physical transformation. I didn't know that. Yeah. They're a weird animal. Like, wild boars and wild pigs, like, when you see a wild boar, like, dark hair, thick, scruffy, and then you see a pig, like, at a farm, same species, same animal, which is fucking nuts. They're, it's all one genus. It's called Suscrafa. That's the type of animal it is. And they can interbreed with each other. They're the same thing. And that's why when you go see wild pigs, like domestic pigs, they get loose and they become feral and then they start breeding in the wild. They, they, they're black. They're black. They have a thick, thick coat on their, around where their neck area is because they fight. And they tear each other apart. So all around, like from their face down to like uh, where their heart is on their chest, is this super thick, thick hide. Like the thickest fuck, like a shoe, like the bottom of a shoe. It's incredible how thick it is. So um, people that hunt them, you have to be careful like with bows and arrows that you don't hit them in that area. Because like if you have a weak bow, you're not pulling back a lot of weight with a really sharp arrow, it won't even go through them. Do you use a bow? Sometimes. Yeah. Man, I had no idea. It's, there's this girl, she works at this hat shop. And uh, I walked in, and she's got this pet fucking pig. So I can just imagine that thing, like, getting loose for a couple of months. <laughs> like, have you seen my... Was it a potbelly it? pig, one of those little ones? Uh, yeah, is that the same deal? No, I don't think so. I think potbelly pigs are like uh, like a chihuahua. You know, a chihuahua... The, the reality of domestic dogs is that domestic dogs all share uh, genetics with a wolf, which means somehow or another, we don't exactly know how they did it, but through selective breeding, a wolf became a chihuahua. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was having this conversation with uh, a buddy of mine in Australia about how a chihuahua became a chihuahua. What did he say? We magic didn't, we didn't know oh we were well, just like that's how fucking crazy is that well there's no clear map it's not like you know like a liger you know what a liger is yeah like yeah. a lion mates with a tiger it right. makes a liger just badass yeah pretty badass <laughs> well they're also they're so big because they one it's either a i think it's a male lion and a female tiger and or maybe a male tiger and a female lion but it has to be that specific combination and what happens is when that combination takes place, they don't receive the gene that regulates size. So they keep growing. Yeah. They're sort of enormous. They're way bigger than a lion and way bigger than a tiger. Like, ligers are enormous. They they don't even seem real. That's why they were Napoleon Dynamite's favorite animal. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Classic, by the way. But see, that makes sense, right? A lion mates with a tiger. You can see that they, they have similarities in their features. Gotcha. But um, chihuahuas, 
in all domestic dogs, we don't really know. We, there's a lot of speculation, and they believe that wolves became friendly with people because we were feeding them, and then they become more docile. Like There was a Radiolab podcast that um, talked about breeding foxes, and within a decade, they had uh, killed they, – they were breeding foxes, and they would kill any fox that showed any sort of aggression or any – and that, that was trying to be dominant, or they'd growl at people, that any, any, any unfavorable characteristics, they killed them. And within 10 years – the genes changed to the point where all the foxes had droopy ears, their jaws became less masculine, they became smaller, their behavior completely changed, they all became like a domestic pet. Within 10 years, they literally became a different thing. And so the thought is that this is what happened with wolves, and that wolves being around campfires with people, like primitive primitive people, like tens and twenty thousands, forty thousand years ago, that we slowly but surely started having relationships with these animals where they would protect us from the other wolves because we would feed them. And so they would become more docile and more um, more dependent upon us. So they would uh, they would be they would give in, you know, they would they would be submissive to us. And so right. their ears started to flop like a dog's ear. And, you know, they became less aggressive. They, they would respond to people. You could train them and teach them to hunt with you because they got a reward out of being a part of the community of people. And then you would raise them from the time they were puppies, and they'd be even more inclined to go like that. So someone would find wolf puppies and raise them so they would imprint on people and be even more likely to exhibit those behaviors. Yeah, but what kind of people are you hanging out with to become a chihuahua? <laughs> <laughs> Gay folk. <laughs> Mostly. Some Mexicans. Um, I think <laughs> I think Chihuahuas are just it's just like thousands of years of that shit. Yeah. You know, only selecting the smaller ones, only selecting the most docile, the most diminutive features. It's a good question though. Yeah. You know, when you get freaky with it, the real argument is that um it's very similar in fact to human beings. Human beings are the only animals that vary as much in their appearance as dogs. Like you got Shaquille O'Neal and you got Bridget the Midget. Those are both humans, right? Yeah. How is Bridget the Midget or any or Brad Williams, how is anybody who's got dwarfism, how are they different than an English bulldog? Right? Yeah. In a way, I mean, it's some sort of a strange change in the body and I don't mean this in any disrespectful way I'm just trying to be completely objective about the right, physical right, right. form of these people you know I'm not saying that people purposely make dwarfs but I'm saying that the physical characteristics the differences in uh, an English bulldog and a wolf and that's very like the difference between Carl Malone and Brad Williams I mean those are both humans and they both could pregnant impregnate the same woman like if a woman had a baby with Carl Malone and then a woman had a baby with a dwarf like right afterwards, she still, I mean, she can get pregnant from both of them and have right. a baby from both of them. And potentially the same genetic um, characteristics could be passed down. Less likely with the dwarf, but I mean, it's incredible when you think about the variation of human beings. We can get a little, a tiny, like a 90 pound Asian lady and then you can have Serena Williams. This super athlete with giant muscles and just ridiculous explosive ability. Right. Well, they're both female humans. You know, it's sort of like a like a golden lab and a Rottweiler. Those are both dogs, but they're massively different characteristics. Right. 
And uh, that's why, like, really nutty conspiracy people believe that human beings were created by aliens, and that there's much in the same way that human beings uh, engineered dogs and changed the shape and selectively bred them to the point where they became these little chihuahuas. That's what aliens did with human beings. They came down, they found some chimpanzees and some lower hominids and started injecting their DNA into them and slowly but surely created a series of different styles of, of human being. I've heard this before, but, <laughs> with, but, with, the, but, with, the, but with the dog comparison, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know either. I don't, I'm not, I, I don't buy the, uh, the alien thing. I think it's much more likely it was just different climates and different parts of the world that were isolated from each other and that's what i think i think it's like you know you built bread adapt to your situation mm -hmm. yeah Definitely. sure yeah no doubt you know i mean there's there's characteristics that animals exhibit that similar animals in other uh other climates don't like african elephants for example they have enormous ears because it displaces heat. Large surface areas displace heat better. That's also why a lot of African men are very tall, uh, very tall and long, because it's it's easier to displace heat over a large surface area. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, like, Asian elephants have different ears than African elephants do. Right. Woolly mammoths have much smaller ears because they were dealing with cold, cold climates. Whereas elephants, you know, in Africa, when they're in the hot savannas, they have these giant-ass fucking ears. That makes sense. I mean, I, I, speaking from myself, my personal experience, I'm definitely much better off in warmer climates than I am in the cold mountains. Are you? Yeah. Do you feel it? Can't do it, man. Can't do it? Can't do it. Don't you get used to it, though? I mean, no. No? No, no, no. You just feel it in your bones. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. I'm like, I don't like this. I need to get away from this. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if it's hot, I'm like, okay, it's cool. I can have a, you know. But nah, cold is like, yeah, get away. Well, also growing up in Austin where it gets hot as fuck. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I did the New York thing. Couldn't deal with the winners? No, dude. <laughs> no. The look on your face. <laughs> well, because I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about all the times where I busted ass and, you know, it's just like walking across the street and I step in a what I think is snow and it's like underneath it is like a foot of water and you know I'm just walking around and you know I've got a one wet foot and I'm supposed to be going to some fucking event or something or go to dinner or do whatever I just I, I can't I can't do it <laughs> I mean I can you know I don't want to sound like a pussy or anything but I can't do it well you can but you don't want to there it is. Yeah. I don't want to. Yeah. I fucking don't want to. Why should you have to? I don't. That's why I'm There's here. options. Exactly. Like, if the whole world was New York City, you could do it. You could do it. It's huh. definitely better than not living. No, that's true. That's very true. I could do it. But you know that there's a better spot. Right. I could adapt. If I didn't know any better, I could adapt. But here you are in the best spot. Exactly. When it comes to weather, nobody could fuck with L.A. That's true. That's very true. That's why there's so many of us. That's why Jamie's here. Look at him. He's like, he's from Columbus, Ohio. Really? Yeah. Columbus, Ohio gives New York City the eight out in the breaks as far as uh, the what? shittiness. Wait, the what? Oh, that's a pool term. <laughs> What'd you say? It's a spot. It's a spot. 
Uh, like if you're playing ten ball, you give someone the eight out in the breaks. That means if they spot, if they win, they can win if they make the eight ball, the nine ball, or the ten ball, and they could break every time. Gotcha. That's eight out in the breaks. That's a considerable, oh, gotcha. considerable handicap. Gotcha. I That's play like pool sick. a little bit, but I don't. <laughs> Columbus. I've been to Columbus before. I got this cool little venue I played at. Columbus is great. Yeah, it's nice. Um, it's a great town. They're cool people there, man. It's a fun. It's a fun town. I like Columbus a lot. I haven't spent a lot of time there, but you definitely had a good time. I haven't been there since I shot my special there in two thousand nine. That's what a dick I am. Where where was I that? In once. Southern Theater. What? Once at the uh, oh, that's right. The palace, I think. That's right. That's right. Jamie knows my schedule better than me. That was right that's, when I started working with. That's ridiculous, Jamie. How do I, how do you know this and I don't know this? That was like two thousand eleven or twelve, right? Two thousand twelve. Yeah, Columbus is a cool town. That's like my favorite town in uh, in Ohio. Where else is there in Ohio? Like, did you Cleveland? Hear? Cleveland's not bad. Cleveland's fun. Cincinnati's fun, but Cincinnati they bullshit you. They have the Cincinnati airport in Kentucky. I don't like that. Why? Know? Why would you? Because it's that? insecure. So the, the Kentucky people are insecure. They should call it the fucking Kentucky airport because that's what it is. God damn it! Don't let those Cincinnati assholes claim your city. Wait, but how does that even exactly? The Cincinnati airport is actually in Kentucky, but to get people to fly into Kentucky is problematic because people have. <laughs> <laughs> they have massive prejudice against Kentucky, man. It just sounds like hillbillies, whereas Cincinnati is like WKRP, you know? It's like uh, Lonnie Anderson and fucking everybody's having a good time. Right. You know? Cincinnati sounds like a nice city, right? Well, it's fucking right next door to Kentucky. Right. So close that you land in Kentucky and then you drive to Cincinnati. So they named the fucking Cincinnati airport this Kentucky airport. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good one. Sneaky. Sneaky motherfuckers. They okay. did it for people like us. I'm never going to go to Kentucky. Those <laughs> motherfuckers got me. I swore I'd never come to this place. But meanwhile, there's like Louisville, who, where everybody goes. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You know, the Kentucky Derby's in Louisville, right? Yeah, see? That's like a... Everybody goes there. But it's one of those quaint southern destinations, you know? I like the word quaint. Mm. Me too. Yeah. Uh-uh. I spent a little bit of time running around there. I found, like, the... Um, it's the wildest crowds and kind of, like, in that area. Inside. Really? For, for me, I think. That's you know, interesting. Performing. I wonder why. I wonder why that is. Booze. Ah, I think. Yeah. I mean, booze happens everywhere, but I feel like, you know, people really have a good time. Well, when I started going on the road a lot in the '90s, is when I really understood NASCAR. Like, I never got NASCAR. I'm like, who the fuck is watching this? It's not that I didn't like car racing. It's like, who the fuck is watching these people go around in a circle? And then I would see how how big it was. I would read statistics. I was like, bullshit. These fucking statistics are all made up. No one's watching this. And then uh, I did a radio station. Um, I want to say it was in Atlanta. I, I don't remember where it was. But I remember uh, it was in the South. And the guy was like, did you see the race this weekend? Man, Dale Jr. is really fucking putting it to them. And I was like, what are you talking about? And like, NASCAR. Tony Stewart. And he starts, like, naming all these people. I'm like, I don't know who the fuck you're talking about. And he was flabbergasted that I didn't know who these NASCAR people were. And then I didn't know who won the fucking Tala Cuscaloosa 55560 yeah. or whatever the fuck name of the race it was. He was, he was flabbergasted. And I was like, how many people know? So then we had people call in. 
like that knew a lot about NASCAR while I was on the air. I was like, you guys know a lot about NASCAR? How many people? Oh, oh hell yeah. We watch it every weekend. And they'll be like going crazy about NASCAR. I was like, oh, okay. So this is a geographical, cultural thing that I'm just not privy to. I just don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we got a little bit of taste of that in, in Texas. Kind of bled over a little bit. But Austin has a Formula One race. That's very new. But oh, it, is it? Yeah. How old is that? Well, I guess, I don't know. Couple new years, enough? Yeah, a few years have, have passed, I guess. But it's, the, yeah, the F1. Uh, That's the shit, deal. man. That's a different kind of racing. Yeah. That's my style of racing. I love watching Formula One because it's turns and craziness and strategy and you know yeah. that's that seems like some crazy shit yeah i can get more into that but yeah i didn't know shit about nascar either yeah and, you know but you know different thing that's definitely a cultural deal i was driving through you know alabama and you know the south and everything and it's there's you know uh tracks and everything you know for amateurs and it's, it's just like a big culture, I guess. You know? Yeah. It's a big deal for those folks. And they say that it all came out of souping up their cars for moonshine runs. I can believe it. Yeah. Makes sense, right? Yeah, you got to get in get out of there. Yeah. Get this money, get this exchange. <laughs> <laughs> Which all came from the same thing that we're dealing with with, uh, with psychedelics. Suppression. Right. I mean, suppression creates diamonds. I mean, that's that's what created that kind of racing is people trying to figure out a way to get the fuck away from cops. Mm. So they made cars that drove faster, handled better, and they could just get away from cops. That was the whole Dukes of Hazard. That's why they had the General Lee. They weren't involved in races. They were running away from cops. Right. They had some crazy souped up fucking... That's why they couldn't have guns. They always had bows and arrows because the cops had taken their, their ability to have a firearm away. When you're a felon in this country, you can't own a gun anymore. Right. I understand. A little bit. <laughs> 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 but this, this podcast turned weird, right? Yeah, it was a weird one. A little bit. It was a good one, though, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, where are you performing next? And now, how can how can people see you? Where, where can uh, they find out? Um, we're performing, doing something for the Grammys. This, oh, cool! This When's week, that? Um, the fifteenth, February. We're doing a, a tribute to the legendary BB King. Beautiful. We'll, Chris Stapleton and Bonnie Raitt. Um, oh, I wouldn't be doing great. what I was doing if it weren't for guys like BB King, you know. So it's, it'll be cool to to be able to show them some love there. And then we just hit the road, man. We're going everywhere. Um, your website? Yeah, GaryClarkJr.com. And uh, you're active on Twitter. I see you're on Twitter all the time. There's all a these, little uh, bit, a um, little bit. I'm not as active as as people say I should be. When are you going to be in this area where I could come see you, man? Uh, where are we going to be? Um, is there anything on there? Does it say anything there about uh, California? Yeah, we'll be doing Coachella. That's a that's about it. I, last time we did uh three nights at the Fonda in December, so we kind of at the what? At the Fonda. Oh, uh, Henry, where's that? Uh, Hollywood. Okay. So yeah, we did that one, and I think we're not we're not gonna be around here for. A little while. Well, listen, man, anything you got going on, anything, if you ever want it promoted, you need any help tweeting it, and uh, cool. come on here anytime you want. You got an open invite. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm happy you're in our town here. Yeah. And uh, I hope you enjoy it and extend you as much hospitality as possible. I appreciate it. And I'm a big fan, man. I love your music. Thank I listen you. to it. I was listening to it on the way over here, man. I'll show you. Check this well, shit Likewise, out. man. I've been following you for a long time. Bam! So. Look at that. 
There it is. That's my playlist on the way over here, sir. Nice. Appreciate it. So uh, much love, sir, and respect. Same. Gary Clark Jr., ladies and gentlemen. Yes, sir. Yeah. We'll be back tomorrow with Tom Papa. See you soon. Much love. Bye-bye. Big kiss. <laughs>